What is it about the canoe that makes it such a symbol of this nation? Well, Wally Shaper was on your podcast, and he said that uh, it's like a dance. It's like, uh, you know, I guess the metaphor would be when you're in a canoe, you're basically married to it. So Mm -hmm. the canoe allowed for the First Nations Indigenous people to move around, to hunt, to trap, to travel, to trade. When the settlers came, it got them to where they were going to settle. It was so much a work vessel for, for years with the timber trade, of course fur trade, of course, and then it became recreational, increasingly recreational. And then I think it became part of who we are, that we can, in a time when we're trying to be more environmentally friendly, we can take the most environmentally friendly transportation anyone has ever come up with. It has a complete indigenous connection, so it has that Mm -hmm. going for it as well at this time of reconciliation, and we can go off and we can vanish, and we leave behind our cell phones, I hope. And we leave behind our so-called troubles and our worries and thinking about inflation and that. You just let nature swallow you up, and it's the most healing, refreshing experience anybody can have. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the exact quote from your book. It's you who said it, too. Is that, I mean, it used to be a vessel for getting places, and now it's a vessel to get away. Exactly. <laughs> That's Roy McGregor, award-winning journalist and best-selling author, and a man with a lifelong passion for canoes and the Canadian waterways they've navigated for thousands of years. He's our guest on this episode of Explore, a Canadian Geographic podcast. Welcome to all you explorers out there, armchair and in motion. And with summer paddling season now in full swing, I hope many of you are in motion with a paddle in hand, on Canada's glorious lakes and rivers, letting nature switch off your worries for a while. Before we get to more on that and Roy McGregor, please take a minute and consider subscribing to Canadian Geographic magazine. It is truly one of Canada's great magazines, an important voice of independent journalism, producing award-winning writing and photography about Canada, its wildlife, environment, people, cultures, and more. Our guest today, Roy McGregor, wrote for the magazine earlier this year. That's the quality of writing you get. An annual subscription is $28.50 for six print issues and full digital access, and you get a handsome wall map of Canada. It also makes a wonderful gift. Go to canadiangeographic.ca forward slash subscribe to sign up today. And today we are doing our second episode on canoeing. If you didn't listen to the last one with canoeing legend Wally Shaber on his love of the Des Moines, the last of the wild rivers, definitely check that out. It's inspired me to do a trip on the Des Moines next month. Our guest today is one of Canada's most celebrated journalists, authors, and columnists. Roy McGregor has spent decades at the top of his game covering everything from politics to hockey to reconciliation to the many strains of life that make up this wonderful and complicated nation of ours. While he wasn't technically born in a canoe, growing up in and around Ontario's Algonquin Park, he wasn't really that far off. For as long as he can remember, he's had a self-described love affair with the canoe and all it represents. Among his many best-selling books include Canoe Country, The Making of Canada, and Original Highways, Traveling the Great Rivers of Canada. Roy McGregor, welcome to the Explore podcast. Oh, thank you, David. 
Well, it's uh, great to have you here. We're um, in the midst of a, a series of conversations about canoes and canoeing, and there's no person I'd really rather talk to, I think, than, than you about that. You've obviously read some, <laughs> written some great books ab about that, and canoeing's been a part of your life, clearly, yeah. for a long time. There's a lot of, awful lot of people out there who are far superior canoeists, uh, have done a lot more. Uh, but I'm a, you know, I'm a, I would call myself a passionate canoeist, a lifelong. Yeah. 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 Are, are, are you going on a trip? Have you been on a trip? No. Uh, my partner, of course, was my wife who, who I lost last year. I'm so sorry. I haven't been on one for that year. And I haven't even paddled so far this year, but I've got to get going. We went over to the cottage, uh, which is in the north end of Muskoka at the edge of, edge of Algonquin Park. And I'll do some paddling there. As for a trip, you know, I had to cancel one last summer, and I think I'm going to start working toward one because nice. they're so special. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing that you don't have to have a big trip. You can have, you can go for one night. Yeah. and have a special yeah experience. It, no, exactly. And we were. Um, I mean, obviously, we're here in the Ottawa area, and we just spoke to Wally Shaber and the Des Moines River and the Coulange, yeah. and that, I mean, those are all just a few hours away, and those are all could be three day trips if you want, or even you know, well, a I've done days. the Des, Mo Des Moines and been on the Des Moines with Wally as well, and just well, what was it called? The Last of the Wild Rivers. Last of the Wild and Rivers. It is, it's just beautiful. Absolutely a tremendous experience. My great passion on this side of the Ontario-Quebec border would be the Petawawa. Mm -hmm. Tell me why. I've done a number of times. And uh, it's it's just got a lot of history. It's also got Algonquin Park in it, so I've got deep roots in the park. So. Yeah. No, your family history goes back a long ways there, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me about the Petawawa when we start there. Like, what, what is it about that river that captures your imagination? Well, I came to whitewater canoeing quite late in life, in my 50s. Uh, because of uh, where we lived, and and uh, when I was growing up in the park, it was Lake of Two Rivers, so it was really all flatwater canoeing. And in all the trips that Alan and I went on, up until the more recent years, had always been flatwater. And then a fellow called Phil Chester, up in uh, Deep River, he got me thinking about uh, whitewater. Took me out in the Patawawa. Took me, my son and a friend of his, and four of us went out and showed us all kinds of paddling tricks. I really started to get excited. And so to do the Padawawa the first time and the second time and the third time was fantastic because I got you get better and better. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's not the toughest river in the world, but it's one of the most fun rivers, I think, to run. And also I had the tremendous privilege of taking Graham Fraser and his family oh, right, up the there to the place where... Fellow uh, journalist. Yeah. And so their father, his father had drowned there, of course, and he had been editor of McLean's and... Blair Fraser was a very well-known Canadian, mm -hmm. and uh, somebody had taken the plaque that was there to uh, both to honor his memory mm -hmm. and to warn canoeists, like, yeah. if you're not up to it, don't try yeah. to shoot this one. Mm -hmm. And uh, they'd thrown it away, but somebody found it. Oh, and wow. It was thrown in the water, but the water went down, and someone, one of the canoeists saw a glitter, picked it up, returned it to the park, and then we were able to get it and take it back and reinstall it. Mm. And it was a very emotional time for the Fraser family. Yeah, oh, amazing. Yeah, amazing to have been a part of that. Um, so uh, I want to sort of go bigger picture here, because I'm, I'm trying to think of a country or a nation that uh, has been so tied to a vessel as Canada has been with the canoe, and, and, and one that's sort of gone through all stages of what this nation has been, too. And I, is there one? I mean, I don't, it's hard to think. I can't think of one. There may be one, but we're not... Not thinking of it. it's just that 
you know, I, I, in that book that I wrote, I said, no canoes, no Canada. Right. Which got me thinking, well, no rivers, no canoes. And then I wrote a book on the rivers of Canada. Yeah. And I think that uh, as a symbol, it can't, can't be beat. I was involved with the CBC Seven Wonders of Canada mm-hmm. back 10, 15 years ago. Peter Mansbridge was doing this thing in Nightly News and they had a panel. We were supposed to pick the Seven Wonders and some of them are obvious, you know, Niagara Falls, of course, and the Rocky Mountains are going to be in there. But they were trying to make it look geographical and I don't want to say politically correct, but they wanted it to right. be geographical. And it struck me that one of the Seven Wonders of Canada is the canoe, which has no geography, really. Right. You can't, you don't locate it anywhere. It's everywhere. Right. And so I argued long and hard in favor of the canoe. And when the conclusion was, they, they, they finally announced the Seven Wonders of Canada, guess what was they called number one, the canoe? There you go. Yeah. It also struck me reading, I mean, both your books on, on the rivers and on canoeing. They're just both filled with super thoughtful, reflective quotes from people. And there's, there's, I mean, that, I think that goes back to the getting away aspect yeah. of it. You know, like you really, it puts you back into your mind space in a way that's incredibly well, healthy. And, Pierre Trudeau, who uh, canoed right on, we could look out on the water that he canoed on from your place. Yeah. And uh, he said it magnificently, you know, that travel 500 yards in a canoe and you just suddenly yeah enter a new world yeah which is completely different from what the world you just yeah departed from yeah no exactly i think you said you drive across the country you wouldn't even get close to right. that same yeah no exactly yeah well the other thing about the canoe is that it's always struck me as fascinating it fits cars like a cap eh? mm-hmm. it's it's you see a canoe on a car and you like it. It just makes you happy. It's like seeing a puppy dog or something. Yeah. It's just something so charming about it. And it fits so perfectly. Yeah. So this vessel from the 1500s, 1200s, whenever, now fits a car from the 2020s. <laughs> yeah. No, it's super easy to point. And it's an aerodynamic on top of it. All yes. Right. Yeah. So easy to, easy to haul around. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Pierre Trudeau too. And one of the, I love one of the, the scenes in your book is... Um, uh, Justin talking about his first whitewater experiences and we're on Meech Lake here and yeah. they, Harrington is where the prime minister is next door and there's a, they would open up this. I mean, can you describe that? Well, Justin, I think it was on Meech Creek, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So his father took him out there and it, he's only six. Yeah. He looked little in the picture. Yeah. And, uh, so he gave me permission to use that picture and uh, I was very grateful for that. And it just shows this kid. It's like, he's suddenly found the greatest circus yeah in the world and his eyes are just so wide open and he's so excited and all oh, here they're just coming out of a run they're coming off the crest of white water it's a very powerful picture and he, as justin says it just opened up a world for me that i've loved ever since yeah yeah no very true um you you and i have both spent time in muskoganish too which has got a, a big history with the canoe and the mm-hmm. hudson's bay company i was up there for the hudson's bay company but they're all tied together but they they made these freighter canoes for the hudson's bay company were you up there when they still had the the closed up shop down by the water? it was all closed up unfortunately yeah. Yeah. same with me when i started going up there it was it was over but then they <laughs> the craze under chief billy diamond yeah with whom i spent a great deal of time and got to know an amazing human being yeah yeah, yeah. so he went over to japan right and he struck this deal with yamaha that they were going to come and make remake the creek famous cree freighter canoes and and uh, it would be the you know an industry for for the crees he, he built an airline he had this 
Cree Yamaha canoe. And uh, he was so excited about the first canoes to come off the line. He had me come up and he sent me out on the, on James Bay with a couple of, of uh, well, his brother was one, Robert, and another, Lawrence, and a friend of mine had come along. And we got caught up in a storm out in James Bay, which had come up in a snap of a finger. Mm-hmm. We, I thought we were going to die. and uh, But we made it to an island. And on that island, we were able to pitch a tent and tarp, get a tarp up and get some fires going, even caught fish. But we were there for three days, just windbound. Yeah. And Billy was wondering, what they, where the hell are they? Yeah. And on Monday morning, he used to do an interview in Morningside with Peter Zosky yeah. about the first Cree Yama canoe. Yeah. <laughs> he used to tell Zosky that if we can't find it. Yeah, they, they're out there somewhere. <laughs> they're out there somewhere. Uh. And we got back and... and uh, I said, I told him at the dock where he came and met her, I said, uh, so, so, I said, I was so scared we were going to die out there. He said, come on, you're with Cree hunters. Yeah. You were in good hands, and we were. You were, yeah. Amazing. And uh, so that, that venture, I think, didn't continue on, though. Is that right? No, no, no eventually. Yeah. Away. yeah, no, and it seems it, there's now full road access up up to, you yeah. can drive to Wiscogan yeah. now. Just on up, the Billy Diamond Highway. On the Billy Diamond yeah. Highway, exactly. No less. So you sort of wonder if they, that's something that could get restarted again. But uh, I don't uh, know. It's uh, it was a big canoe. It was like a James Bay canoe, and then I guess it just wasn't a call from the like the canoeing and kayaking industry, which has done phenomenally over the last couple of pandemic years, mm-hmm. uh, tends to be sleek and light right. and small. Right. No, that's very true. I, I was also struck in your, um, in your writing about, because uh, like you, I'm cent- very central Canadian and grew up in the Ottawa Valley. And so my my whitewater, all my canoeing experiences have been on lakes and sort of those dark water lakes <clears> and <throat> rivers of the, of the region. And um, you, I remember you writing about uh, going out to the Rockies and just and what you described to me, because I had not paddled out there, yeah. was this sort of frothing thrill ride sort of thing that was going on and I and I, I read it and I, I couldn't really figure out what you meant and then I paddled the Wind River out of the Mackenzie Mountains yeah. and I got it immediately it was it, you're not paddling you're flying oh my god yeah you're in you're in the air and you're you've taken off it's like that great uh, French Canadian myth eh, about the flying canoe yeah because on this river that I was on you were on the uh, wind. The wind, yeah. yeah. And I was on the Kokanee. Yeah. And going down it, and it was just sly. It just, you'd never had to dip a paddle in the water. Yeah. Because mile after mile, kilometer after kilometer, yeah. it just carried you along. But yeah. you could look down, and it was like looking through glass yeah. all the time. A green bottom, but you could see, and you couldn't really tell the depth. And you'd sit there and think, as you look down, you think, am I going to scrape bottom? But you could be six feet away from, yeah. from it, or eight feet away. Yeah. And so you get this feeling very much so, and I think you you just described it. You really think you're flying. Yeah. No, I, you're not paddling, you're flying. No, I, I compared it at the time to being almost like in some water ride at Disney World, which I think almost does a disservice. But it really, <laughs> it really, it was just this, it was, I've never had so much fun doing white water in my life. It was absolutely spectacular. Yeah. I was in one of those uh, single canoes where you ride a saddle. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've never done that before. And they have a high bow and a high stern. Yeah. Kind of banana looking. Yeah. yeah, was, yeah. Very banana looking. Yeah. Yeah. How was that? It was fun, yeah. Yeah. But I still prefer the other. And yeah. I prefer paddling with someone. Yeah. I mean, that's... If you're not sharing your canoeing experience, you have to share it, I think. It's yeah. Just, that's the best part of it. To be able to talk about it later on over a drink or just a memory of, you know, remember that time we went down the, you know, 
the Petawawa or the Duin, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's that, I mean, and Wally talked about it in his interview, there's that teamwork aspect of yes. it too. There's just, you know, once you get into that groove, it's such yeah. a great feeling. Yeah, doing the portage, isn't that name? You know, Ellen and I really, I think we were a good team because we just got along well and both worked equally hard. Right. Except she did the cooking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Wally knew Ellen, I think, from way yeah. back, right? Yeah, they, they went to camp together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So got her experiences in this area go way back to, yeah. Yeah. What was a favorite trip for the two of you? Uh, the northern part of Algonquin Park into North Tee mm -hmm. and uh, along the Lemab River. And it's just so beautiful up there and nobody's there. Yeah. So we went in there and on one of those amazing weeks where there's hardly a ripple in the water you know it's just glass 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 mm. lazy days with clouds floating over and we camped on islands and uh, we were there with Ellen's sister and brother-in-law and we all just had such a good time out no white water you know yeah. but total pleasure yeah and relaxing it was so nice i'd go there again in a heartbeat yeah, no, it's it's amazing, and to to be, I mean, that's the beauty of the Canadian wilderness is you can be in places and you're all alone, like you're all yeah. alone. We were all alone on the on Big North Sea Lake. That was amazing. Yeah, I did. Um, I, when I was younger, I did a lot of trips up in Labyrinthry. It was just sort of oh, I love it up there. Yeah, yeah, straight north of here, and it's the size of Algonquin Park, but yeah. like has a tenth of the people going through it. And yeah. So I, I, we would go out in these trips for two, three weeks and not see another human being, you know, like see moose, see other things, mm -hmm. but not another human being. And I lived in China for a period, and I, you know, and China is obviously a very <laughs> densely populated country. And I would tell Chinese people this and they, their immediate reaction was no. Yeah. <laughs> it was like it, <laughs> inconceivable. I got sent to China back in 1986. Yeah. Landed in Shanghai. Oh, wow. In the airport. <laughs> From the airport to downtown, the hotel I was going to, I believe... I saw more people yeah. then on that single trip than I had seen in my entire life. And it absolutely freaked me out. Yeah. It just was so oppressive, yeah. the humanity of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, we were in Beijing for a couple of years. And I, and again, being a Canadian kid who's, you know, grew up in the wilderness and stuff, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, there were between Beijing and the port city, which was right next to it, there's the population of Canada, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and not a lot of grass and not a lot of trees and not a lot of, yeah, so. Well, we don't appreciate our vast wilderness enough that's it's a really a shame it's yeah you know <laughs> yeah i just wish more people would do it and i think if there is one silver lining of this damned pandemic it is that people started traveling into the woods behind their house rather than into off to italy or off to france and that no and while i understand perfectly why anybody would do that i went to mexico myself during the march break with my teacher daughter and her family mm. But there's nothing, I, I wouldn't trade that beautiful week in Mexico for a, a week along the Des Moines. No, no, yeah. no. It's a totally different, totally different. different, totally different experience. No, and we saw it up here too. And not only were there, so we're in Gatineau Park, but not only were there more people up here, but it was also a much more diverse group of people than we usually get to, yeah. like much more diverse. And I was like, oh, that's, I mean, that's great, right? Yeah, well, I think uh, if you travel through Algonquin Park or even if you go to, you know, some of the parks in uh, downtown Ottawa, Canada area that I live in, the uh, multicultural mm -hmm. aspect of those people who are using the par parks. And I would even suggest in a place like Ottawa, recent immigrants far outnumber the 
so-called <laughs> that awful line old stock. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, and that's wonderful to see. Yeah. And in Algonquin Park, especially during the fall leaves tours, it's just bus after bus after bus of not necessarily new Canadians, but the kind of Canadians that when I was growing up in Algonquin Park, you didn't often see or ever see. Right, right. It's, it's terrific. Yeah, and it's, and it's crucial too. I and mean, we've talked about this at Canadian Geographic, but because especially the kind of canoe trips we've talked about too, it's, I mean, it's either the indigenous people who live in those areas yeah. that do it or it's white people with money, right? Basically, exactly. you know, and it's, there needs to be, if this country is going to keep buying into the importance of this wildlife, we need, everyone needs to be a part of what mm -hmm. that has to offer, you know? Well, I believe it should be part of the curriculum. Yeah. And a lot of people would argue that, you know, James Raffin, Wally Shaver, uh, Becky Mason, they would all agree that there should be some kind of capacity for, let's say, high schools to get kids introduced to the park. Now, there's an issue, David, that you know very well. That's the culpability or the liability. Yeah, it's legal stuff. And yeah. there have been bad things happen. I think there was one just last summer or two summers ago in Algonquin Park where kids that uh, they were checked off as having passed a swimming test and they hadn't. Right. And a tragedy happened. But I think it can be done safely. I mean... First of all, who among us so-called uh, canoeists, smart, smart canoeists, hasn't tipped? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you learn how to, how to survive it, what to do, yeah. and you wear a life jacket. Yeah. And, and to me, part of the canoe experience is learning those kinds of things, how to ride a canoe, how to, how to get out of fast water. Uh, I think that a week in the... In the wilderness, it doesn't have to be that wild. For every high school student in the country, would be should be mandatory. Yeah, yeah. Now, and we had Adam Schultz on this podcast saying something very similar to that, and it was, um, you know, he feels it's like way more dangerous driving on an icy road on a commute into a Canadian city right. than it is being out in the wilderness. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. No, it's yeah and you just take the precautions needed. I mean, people, I know people are petrified of wildlife. Yeah, but on, on a I've never had a bad experience with wildlife on a canoe trip. Never. Never. No, me either. No. And we've got, I mean, we have bear around us right now. They've mm -hmm. been actually around our house here and stuff. And, uh, but they, they want nothing to do with us, you know? No, they want your garbage. <laughs> they want our garbage. But I mean, the first sight of us that they're gone. And that's, you know, that's maybe your biggest threat out in the wild, right? So. Well, I carry bear, bear spray if mm -hmm. I think I'm going. Yeah. And I just, just throw it in. It's very easy to carry. I don't ever expect to use it. Yeah. Um, so what, what do you paddle? What's your, what's your favorite canoe of choice? Well, I got smart finally. I, I always rent now if I'm going to do whitewater. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but um, in, uh, in 1978, I bought a Northland canoe, which is uh, made, made in uh, Huntsville. Okay. Yeah. And it's a cedar and canvas, very much modeled on the Peterborough right. design. Yeah. And, uh, I just love it. Still have it. It's red. Of course it's red. Yeah, perfect. It, it hangs in the garage. Yeah. And sometimes in the winter months, I'll go out in the garage and actually pet it. Oh. So, or run my hand along it. Just, it's okay, friend. You're going to get out again soon. Yeah. Yeah, you'll be free to go. And it just, you know, feels right. And that. My grandfather, he had a, the range, he was a ranger at Algonquin Park, and he had a, a Peterborough canoe. And he used to bring it over in the spring, and I always got such a charge out of this. He'd... He'd load it up with rocks and sink it. Oh, no, wait, to bind it up? Or, yeah. Yeah. 
so that there was no leakage with the rest of the When you first put it in the water, yeah, because it was just uh, cedar strip, yeah, it would a little bit of water would get in, but he'd sink them. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd sit there, you'd walk along for about a day, and every time you'd look into the water, you'd see a canoe down there. Yeah, that's amazing. No, we, um, yeah, and those, yeah, those cedar canvas canoes are just lovely, and they just glide so nicely yeah. in the water, like they're yeah. just skipping along. I started out on um, old aluminum, like Grumman's and stuff like that. And the comparison, yeah. there is no comparison. You know, it's like a freighter versus a, yeah, Spitfire or something. Yeah, Ellen and I bought a, uh, one of the new, very, very new ones. It weighed only 38 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it uh, cost quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. And we took it on one trip and just loved it because you almost carried one hand along the portage. Yeah. But then we sold it. Yeah. And you know why? We had it at the cottage. And people, were, like visitors, would be taking it out. Yeah. And our son-in-law, for example, he flipped it. Uh, and he thought he was going to drown. And other people had trouble with it. And I came to realize that that canoe only was stable when Ellen and I were in it. We're good, good paddlers, but we also had big packs in there, right? So uh, it was the weight that kept it down. So a single person going out in this canoe, yeah. not very adept at paddling, was at risk. So we thought, well, it's better. Maybe we should just sell it rather than keep it around, have, yeah. have problems like we had with with our son-in-law. Yeah. No, and so it's each canoe is different. And the canoe that I talked about earlier, the Cedar Canvas one, it's just, it's perfect in every way. Perfect on a trip, perfect with weight, Perfect with one person in it, even. Yeah, yeah. You wouldn't do white water in that, though. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> yeah, no. Because we did. I, Wally was again telling us about his experiences doing cedar canvas down the Des Moines, and I was like, "Oh my god!" Did he? he oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. And he and, and there's still camps that do. There's a camp I think he mentioned Quaden or something like that that still does an annual trip in cedar canvas canoes down the Des Moines. Which, yeah, no, exactly. I was the same. That's why you rent a canoe, like a Kepler <laughs> canoe, and it wraps around a rock and it springs right back. No, exactly, exactly. Yeah, my neighbor calls that painting the rocks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Northland, I mean, it's nice to see too. I mean, because there were all these, you were talking about Peterborough, which is this iconic sort of, and that was the real first of the recreational canoes that, that came up in the, in the la early the last century, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's great to see these companies popping up again now too, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there's, I mean, you talk about your, I mean, there's, um, Nova craft and there's all these other ones up, up around. And there's a lot of people who are making their own canoes. Like I have a neighbor in Canada who just likes working with wood. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm going to make a canoe. And he's made a canoe that is so beautiful. Uh, you know, he's just very good. And I look at it and I just marvel. Yeah. And then I've, I've known a lot of people who make canoes too. I don't know how they do it. No. It's just. No. Such an art. Yeah. Have you, um, have you been in a birch bark? Um, no. No, me either, no. I'd love to try. There's one a birch bark canoe very near to you. Oh, is that right? In Chelsea, in the visitor center. Oh, right. Built by Chief William Commander, I believe. Yeah, up, yeah, up just north and, up here, uh, yeah, the Algonquin. I look at that and I think, boy, that would be so fun to paddle in. Give it a whirl, yeah. Yeah, yeah they still make them up there, too. Yeah. yeah. I went up with uh, Max Finkelstein. Have you talked to Max at all? No. No, he's Tell me quite, about Max. quite the canoeing legend. And uh, he took us out in the war canoe up and down the Rideau Canal. Nice. Going through the locks in it, you know, 12 people, however many were paddling. I can't remember the number. That was fun, too. Just such a feeling of power, eh? Yeah. Where you, you do get in sync or you get out of sync and you can feel it. You can feel exactly the importance of what you mentioned earlier, teamwork. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back again to the curriculum teaching something to these kids that they will carry for life about how you, whining doesn't get you anywhere in a canoe trip. No. Working together does. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so true. Absolutely true. 
Yeah, and there's a t- there's a, there's terms for people who don't pull their weight in canoeing too. Like, lily dippers among them. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to be a lily dipper. I think that's one of the great words phrases in the world, though. Lily dipper. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it certainly is. Um, yeah, and the, I mean, you go back to the, obviously the, the fur trade and beyond First Nations too. But you just I mean, you hear about those those uh, voyageurs and the coureurs de bois doing these trips and you know the paddle strokes per yeah. per, per per minute were I don't know what they were like dozens you know yeah. yeah and then stopping for your your smoke every what is it every twenty minutes or something like yeah that. yeah they had their brakes built in yeah, yeah. always have a smoke yeah <laughs> and little guys too yeah like the fur trade deliberately sought out uh, uh, Scots from the Orkney Islands because yeah. they're short and stocky yeah they could carry these ninety pound packs so easily yeah but they had such a low uh, level of gravity while they were in the canoe that it made, made canoeing far easier. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's one of the oddities of Canadian history. Yeah. Yeah, no, the, yeah, the Scots and the, yeah. And, um, and also a, a comfort level with uh, treeless landscapes, I think, yeah. as well. <laughs> yeah. If you've ever been up to Orkney, it's, uh, there's not a tree on the island. <laughs> almost. Yeah. The so, other uh, great historical story is uh, certainly the 1885 expedition to the Nile. Yeah. What a story. I don't know why that's not taught in, in schools. Yeah. Because it is such a story. The, the importance of the canoe in putting down the 1870 <clears throat> Red River Rebellion, mm-hmm. Louis Rail's first rebellion, was pivotal because they were able to get the men, the soldiers, up yeah. to Winnipeg, yeah. through the Winnipeg River, and tough paddles upstream, portaging that. But it was the canoeists who made it possible yeah. to put down the rebellion. Yeah. 15 years later, the uh, British general, Chinese Gordon, yeah, Charles Chinese Gordon, he's he's under siege up the Nile in Khartoum, yeah, in Khartoum, and uh, so there's this thing going on there with the Mahdi. There's 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 like they're they're trying to take back mm-hmm. from the Brits, of course, yeah, and the Brits are under siege. The Brits don't know how to get Chinese Gordon out, so they think, oh yeah. We could paddle up the Nile. Remember what we did in Canada? We used those canoeists. Well, in the 15 years that had passed by in that time, there were very few voyagers, mm-hmm. it turned out. The at, fur trade was wrapping up yeah, it's in a lot of ways. Yeah. So they recruited 300 men or something like that, including one who was supposed to be my granduncle or something, but I couldn't ever prove it. Right. From the Ottawa Valley, they were lumbermen. Yeah. Some canoeists, some indigenous canoeists. And uh, some uh, people just thought it would be a lark, like some bankers from Winnipeg. Right. And they gathered and they, they marched them up and down uh, Spark Street and they sang some songs and then they, they, they put them up for the night. And so many of them got drunk yeah. that they couldn't even start out the next day. They went down to Montreal to board the ship that was going to take them to, to Britain. So a whole bunch of them got drunk then. They had to be replaced. <laughs> they went and they stopped at Sydney. Yeah. On the way, they were going to get the last provisions in Sydney before departing across the Atlantic Ocean. Some of them got off the boat and got quite drunk. One guy got off the boat, got drunk, and went into a school, threw the teacher out, and started t- t- teaching a class to the kids until oh, the police yeah. came along. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so by the time they got to England, yeah. word was out that these guys were crazy. They wouldn't let them off the boat. <laughs> oh, no way. <laughs> they, they had made these special canoes, but they didn't look like canoes at all. Yeah. But they were supposedly made for the Nile. So more off, like a York boat or what yeah, were they? Yeah, much more, yeah. yeah. So off they went, down through the, into the... Uh, uh, the straits just be- before you get to uh, the Nile. Yeah. And uh, they got out and they got into the canoes and they performed quite well. Amazing, yeah. 
they knew how to do enough of them knew how to do white water and pull, yeah pulling up through the right cat and rapids pulling. and yeah and but they didn't get there in time and uh, so Khartoum fell Chinese Gordon was killed and the Canadians it turned out, it, it was really a strange story because they decided they couldn't get the soldiers there fast enough, so they rounded up camels. But the soldiers didn't know how to ride the camels, and camels have the ability to turn around and bite you. Oh, yeah, no, camels are obstinate <laughs> animals. <laughs> so the Canadians came back, and uh, they came back, and they, they brought things with them like birds and monkeys, mm-hmm. and all kinds of stuff, and they landed in Ottawa, and they marched them up and down Spark Street singing songs and that. It's just such a strange story. It, it was unsuccessful, but it's still so dramatic. I'm surprised no one ever made a movie of it. No, it's an amazing story. Yeah. No, and and, and I mean, if, if nothing else, the Ottawa Valley lumber trade produced characters, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, you could only imagine what that crew of guys was like. You know, they w- worked hard and play hard, right? So, yeah. I guess a, a poor, I guess ultimately a poor outcome is the, is the, the Quinter, yeah. but you're right. What a great, great story. Great, great adventure story. Yeah, and really kind of the first overseas venture for it was the Canada first militarily. Right? First yeah. ever for, for Canada as yeah. a country. Yeah, sort of so much more attention on the on the South African Boer War. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, there's some incredible stories. Are there, um, I mean, in all your research and stuff, were there... Were there particular explorers who really caught your imagination? Maybe some that deserve more attention than they should get, or is there? Well, Etienne Brule. Oh yeah, it was a very interesting one. He was supposed to be what, Champlain's right-hand man, mm-hmm. and uh, but he learned languages of the Cree and the Ojibwe mm-hmm. and the Algonquin. I think he learned Algonquin first because he was based in in Quebec, and uh, so he became the translator. And then he went and lived with them, mm-hmm. and uh, he became almost indigenous himself. Yeah, except that they thought he, they f- believed he was a traitor, and uh, because something had happened, and they burned him at the stake. Oh, yeah, not a good outcome. <laughs> My mom was born at Brule Lake. I know. That's why I was interested in Etienne Brule. Yeah, and uh, she was born in a tent on the shores of Wow of uh, Brule Lake in the middle of Algonquin Park. Wow, so. And so it's an, this is an aside, but how was she born at a tent? On, at, well, uh, there was a town there yeah. that they, they, they lived at Brule Lake. It was a really a, a logging town, but they had a little school yeah. and boarding houses and some houses. Mm-hmm. And uh, her mother was in labor, going into labor in August. She was born August 5th, 1915. Mm-hmm. It was so hot, like stiflingly hot to be in labor up in the house and that. So they got this idea of setting up a tent by the shore and, you know, the old wool gray army blankets, we used to call them. Mm-hmm. They'd take them down to the lake, dip them in to get cool water, and then they hung them on little racks around the bed. Yeah. And my grandmother lay down there and had the cooling effect of the lake and gave birth to my mother. Wow. It's kind of a nice story. That's an amazing story. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Um, and... Uh, and you, you talk about too about Brule and and sort of those kinds of characters. And what always strikes me about them and the, and the fur trade is you know these crews cutting out from Montreal, we're going way up into the prairies and back again. Yeah, <laughs> you know we talk about our you know two week little adventures down a river here or there. Good lord, these guys. Yeah, well, I mean it's just the waterways are so amazing. You know they're. At one point, there was a plan to continue the Ottawa River up into James Bay so that you could have transportation 
Oh, wow. that, on that on that route to take it in from the north, and that if we were ever at war with the states again, mm -hmm. there was a great plan to uh, make a, a system, a, a somewhat a Rideau Canal system from the uh, North Bay area or Mattawa area, I should mm -hmm. say, sorry, over to to Lake Nipissing and then down the French River, and down to Georgian Bay. Yeah. These never did did happen, but the Rideau did happen, and it was a uh, set up entirely for defense. Started, I think, 1828, finished 18. 34 or 32, mm -hmm. a work of such genius that it's considered a her world heritage site, right. an engineering feat the likes of which no one had ever seen. The guy who did it, Colonel By, got no credit and all. In fact, he got his ass hauled back to Britain yeah. and condemned for overspending. It was right. like right. a few thousand pounds or something. Yeah. And he never, ever got any recognition, died both impoverished and bitter. Huh. And now he's, he's recognized as one of the great engineers of history. Yeah. And these were, these were rivermen who worked on the Rideau Canal too. A lot of them were canoeists, mm -hmm. and a thousand of them, they believe, a thousand of them died yeah. of, of uh, yeah. typhoid and, and accidents, yeah. malaria. Yeah. So there's a lot of just some unmarked graves and some marked graves all along the Rideau system where they they were buried. So it's uh, for something that's really just a tourist attraction. It'd be nice if people were able to understand the labor and what it was like for these. And they were mostly Irish, you know. The Irish yeah. were really looked down upon as yeah. as being third rate or something. Right. Yeah, disposable effectively. Yeah. 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 Those names like McGuffin and uh, yeah. McGuffin. Maybe McGregor. some McGregors in there too. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh because it is tragic. No, it is, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um and but testament to I mean everything you're talking about, Colonel John By and you know, like you, there's things like the Erie Canal in the States, which doesn't really exist anymore. And this yeah. thing is still absolutely a yeah. vital. Oh, well, the, yeah. the Rideau Canal is so interesting because if you go down it, it's still handled exactly the way it was in the 1830s. You got yeah. these guys out cranking wheels. Yeah. And, oh, my God. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's amazing. Um, so I, I don't want to tie up your time too long, but I, I do. I mean... The canoe has obviously been integral going back, you know, I don't know do we know? Is it 10,000 years? What's the... That's the guess that's usually out there. Yeah. But then who comes up with these things? They're always, you know, the Crees are always said to have lived along James Bay for 10,000 years. Well, yeah, maybe. Who, I, it's just a figure that's thrown out there. So let's say 10,000 years for the canoe. Yeah. But I bet it's longer. Yeah. 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 No, I've seen they've been massive reassessments just in how long they think indigenous people have been on this continent, right? Yeah. It's by possibly 100,000 years longer than has been given credit. Really? So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Good to hear. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's en entirely possible. Um, so, um, I mean, obviously, the canoeing is very much a part of your life. What do, you, what do you see the future of the canoe in this country? Well, again, we're going to talk about a little bit about the pandemic. I truly think Canoeing and kayaking have been rediscovered to it. No, not kayaking. It was going very strong, but I think canoeing's been rediscovered. And hopefully camping rediscovered. The parks are full. Yeah. Try to book a, a campsite. In the old, well, two or three years ago, you'd phone up and I'd like a place for the weekend. Well, now you have to, the day that it opens, remember that this yeah. year? Yeah, yeah. The, the, the <laughs> announced opening was February, I'm going to guess February 15th. Mm -hmm. People were already sitting at their computers ready to hit. Like, boing. Yeah, it's like trying to get a concert yeah. ticket or something. Yeah. Yeah, it's just amazing. So so that's been good. Also, uh, the environment. I mean, I don't want to say the canoe is the first EV vehicle, mm -hmm. but it is certainly the first yeah. vehicle widely used that didn't start using diesel and gasoline the second it could. Right. 
stuck with it. it. Yeah, that's good. And so it appeals to the environmentalist in us all. Also, the people may work less. Yeah, certainly people are working more from home. They're able to slip away a little more than they yeah. should. Maybe, maybe some people find that offensive. I know, but uh, at least getting away on the weekends a little quicker. Yeah. So I think the future is very good. Yeah. No, I agree. No, I completely agree. Um, and as a veteran recreational canoeer yourself, for someone who's thinking about getting into this, maybe planning a, like a four-day trip or something, how would you recommend? Like, what's the? I'd go to an Outfitters, you know, uh, for the first one anyway, and then you can decide whether you want this for your, for a recreation for life, and you can start buying equipment. I mean, <laughs> people like you and I, our basements are plugged with extra yeah. tents and. Yeah. Uh, Food barrels, thank you, Wally Shaver. Yeah, <laughs> and all that kind of marvelous equipment that we that we mostly look at now rather than use. But I think you can find a lot of used equipment now. For sure. Yeah. And uh, some of these new websites that are coming up that just you know neighborhood shopping or free and that kind of stuff. So I think you can do quite well. But I would go to an outfitter for the first time because of this. The outfitter not only gives you the canoe and the paddles and the life jackets that they provide the exact food. Yeah. For your four day, three four days. And it comes wrapped in packages. It's all done for you. The only thing you have to do is paddle and enjoy. Yeah, 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 no, it's so true. I just think, you know, talking about the pandemic, and there's a lot of talk about mental health and, and through all that as well. And just, I mean, what you can do for your mental health on even a couple of days out in the wilderness yeah. is unbelievable. Yeah, and especially for children that, you know, get them away from the devices. Give them a new device that you have to hold with two hands. Yeah. And that you're not allowed to look at because you're too busy looking at the islands and the shoreline that you're passing by. Yeah, just thinking. Yeah. Um, and the last question that we ask everyone who comes on this podcast is, what's? do you have a favorite place in Canada? And can you describe that for us? Yeah, but then I'd be giving it away, wouldn't I? Yeah, well, you don't have to give us directions. I'm going to do it. <laughs> There's an area, a beautiful paddle called the Barren Canyon Run. Mm -hmm. And you go up to Acre, and you put in, and you paddle. Uh, the name of the lake is escaping me for the moment. That you, but what you do is you paddle down a little distance, and then you bear left, and you go to the most amazing falls mm. that I've ever seen. And the falls is like three giant granite bowls with the water spilling at each one. And what kids do they, when they get in there is they put their life preservers on upside down, yeah. like diapers, and they slide down the sides of these bowls. And it is, if it were America, it would be the biggest attraction you could imagine with signs all over like Dolly Land and Disney World and that kind of thing. But it's no, it's in the middle of the Canadian wilderness. You can hike into it and you can canoe into it, but you can't drive to it. And it's just, it's called High Falls. And I've just given away one of the great secrets of life. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> we appreciate you sharing that. And appreciate you so much for coming on no, to the Explore been, Podcast. It's a joy to come to Meech Lake. I haven't been here for years. And it's such a beautiful spot and a beautiful day today. It is a gorgeous summer day. So I'll let you get out and enjoy <laughs> it. Thanks so much, Roy. Thank you, David. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, can you do us a big favor and help us prod the algorithm a bit? You can do that by giving us a glowing review 
and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps us to reach a wider audience with these interviews. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. We'll be back in two weeks. Until then, when we'll explore again, I'm David McGuffin. I think right now we're enjoying very much looking back at the Earth, and it's just a fantastic experience, and I just can't wait to get back and start telling people. We left Simpson about June 10th with the Fur Brigade, consisting of a number of York boats, each manned by 10 voyageurs. For us, it means that our history is very strong, and we flew all over every inch of the country that it could be. We were hoping that he would fire at us. Oh, I guess 160 dives or so.